Hello and welcome back to the In Squash Podcast, episode 262. Today I'm your host, Jerry Gibson. And uh, before we get into this uh, episode, I uh, just want to give a shout out to everyone for your tremendous feedback and reaction uh, to Ep 261 with Jethro Bins on the uh, Jonathan Power documentary. Uh, again, if you haven't seen part one, it's a must watch. Uh, you'll need to describe, uh, subscribe to. Um, squash skills in order to do that but i'd say uh, for anyone who loves their squash it's well worth it you can kill two birds with one stone uh, in doing so by describing i mean there's an absolute treasure trove of squash instruction there so many great uh, coaches contributing players nutrition experts uh, strength and conditioning experts blogs documentaries uh, there's there are other documentaries actually which are amazing as well the malcolm willstrip uh, doc as well as the rob owen doc which uh, rob and i talked about uh, on his pod uh a couple of months back there uh, those were both very very well done so uh, but the jp uh, documentary part one at least which i've seen uh, was a step above all those in my estimation uh well basically uh, i guess it's because i'm biased because i'm a huge jp uh, fan but uh, definitely uh, uh it was a tremendous watch and i highly recommend you go out there and do that and uh take a look at it uh, take a look at the squash skills um offer that they have uh, going on right now uh they don't sponsor the pod by the way but i really truly believe like that that documentary is fascinating and uh so i don't mind pimping it here uh on episode 262 it was it was a great chat with jethro go back and listen to the episode if you haven't uh, done so already but today uh episode 262 is upon us and uh we've got our pedal to the metal here on the podcast with none other than psa ceo alex goff uh, the conversation's a wide-ranging chat. Um, it covers uh, the season to date, which has been amazing. Uh, officiating uh, changes, uh, what's going on with uh, officiating there, and uh, what Lee Drew has been uh, been pulling off. Uh, some good stuff there, and uh, interesting chat about that, uh, which also includes employing uh, full-time officials in the not do too distant future i think that's on the table as well uh, the new ranking the weekly ranking system the olympic bid and of course um uh, be remiss if i didn't uh, ask him about the elephant in the room uh, the assault ban we covered uh, more ground uh, than that as well it was a really great chat i know you're going to enjoy it um you know just in terms of the assault ban when we look at social media and the fallout uh, from the assault ban. I think uh, Jethro summed it up nicely on, on the previous podcast uh, when he said that, that tri- there's sort of a tribalism that exists right now with respect uh, to assault on the extreme. Uh, there, there are extremes on both sides, and you have the extreme. The, there's sort of this hatred towards assault, which uh, I find mind-boggling. But uh, it's very. To me, hearing that kind of hatred's a bit, little bit disturbing. Um, but then you also have, uh, on the other side of the equation, uh, you have the conspiracy theories that seem to suggest that the PSA wants uh, assault out of the game altogether. And uh, I also find that uh, very hard to believe. But uh, anyways, Alex uh, lays things out from the PSA perspective and addresses some of the issues, some of these issues, anyways, mentioned above. So really good chat. I know you're going to enjoy uh, Alex Goff here on episode 262. But before we do get into it, first I want to tell you about some exciting summer initiatives at Open 
open squash, the open, uh, the uh, New York-based nonprofit dedicated to bringing thousands of new people into the sport by making it more accessible and more affordable to everyone. Open squash PSA pros include the likes of former world number one Ali Farag, Nathan Lake, Victor Coin, and also uh, Commonwealth Games gold medalist Gina Kennedy, all of whom are, I'm sure, busy preparing for the upcoming uh, British Open and uh, also after that the World Championships. Uh, Open Squash now is excited to announce their summer squash camps at their new Bryant Park facility. Uh, brand new state-of-the-art facility it is. Full and half-day options are available. Multi-skill camps. Exceptional professional co coaches will be there. Harvard, Brown, and Columbia College coaching camps uh, to prep for the college game. World-ranked PSA pro camps. Outrageously fun and encouraging environment. Income based discounts available. Let me give you a couple of the options here. They have their day camps, which are fun, a fun and innovative program designed exclusively to introduce newer players to the game of squash and accelerate skills for those with one to two years experience. Suitable for junior academy, green and blue team players. You'll have to go to the Open Squash website and uh, to to understand what green and blue is all about. Then they have the tournament camps, which are high-intensity coaching from top international PSA pros and coaches. This would be for experienced and would-be tournament players. And then finally, also, they have their college coach camps. You get the chance to work with some of the top uh, college coaches in the country and experience what it takes to be a successful college applicant and player. You can check all of this out at Open Squash. Dot org now without further ado of tremendous chat with PSA CEO so lucky to have him on appreciate his time Alex Goff on episode 262 uh, Alex uh, fantastic to have you uh, back on the podcast I know you're busy uh, these days the uh, PSA season's really uh, read sort of the, the business end of it all right now um, and the season's been great 2022-23 uh, especially on the men's side I mean we've got uh, the events coming up were huge implications for world number one over the last couple of events and the women's squash picking up where it left off uh, last year, just fantastic uh, stuff on both sides. So just uh, in sum, uh, Alex, um, what are your thoughts on the season uh, till now? Um, <clears throat> well, it's, well, it's certainly been busy. Um, this is, this is easily our busiest season that we've ever had. Um, I think we're at 26 men's events and 25 women's events will be the total across this this season's world tour. So that's that's separate to obviously the, the Challenger Tour um, across 33 different events. Um, and we're, uh, yeah, obviously pretty excited to see someone like, uh, or to, excited to see Kareem Abdul-Gawad come back. Um, I know everyone was getting very excited down there in Wimbledon last week with the way he was playing. Um and it'll be great to have kind of the men's and women's alongside each other again um, for the for the British Open coming up in a couple of weeks. Um, yeah, it's been it's been great. Certainly, certainly been busy. Certainly keeping the team busy as well. Yeah, exactly. I was going to ask you that question as well. I mean, uh, Kareem came back. Uh, he's been away for at least a year, and a horrible injury to his heel is kind of a mystery injury. But uh, a guy like him having a, a you just forget how talented and how 
how great he is to watch. He's one of these guys for me anyways. Uh, I've got Shabana, I've got maybe Diego Elias, and he's another guy who before every match I'll, I'll watch a bit of squash. And uh, he's one of the guys too. So what, uh, just speak to to what Kareem brings to, to the game that's, that's sort of indispensable. Oh, blimey. He's... Uh just the talent and the you know his technique is so smooth the way the way he strikes the ball is so smooth his movement's fantastic he just he's a very very much a federer type player for of a for a squash player it's just everything's so smooth um and just he, he just he's he's just playing shots that i'm sure even the other players when they're playing him they're kind of like how has he how has he done that and you know how has he done that at that speed and that pace and Taking the taking the pace off the ball like he does in the sort of front backhand. Um, never had the pleasure of playing him, but I played played his counterpart part Shabana many times. And uh, I know when Shabs was coming to the end of his career, we were all kind of wondering who would who would fill his kind of footsteps. Um, and I think Shabana himself said, "Yeah, Guado go, go, go will go be that player." Um, so yeah, it's <clears throat> when you have an injury like he had. You know, you, you never know whether you're going to come back, and it was, it was, it did sound very serious. Um, and you, you just don't know whether whether they've got the mental strength to come back, or so. So seeing it in the flesh last week um, is fantastic, and I'm sure everyone's pretty excited. Everyone, I'm certainly everyone at the event was very, very excited about seeing him play. So, yeah, definitely one to watch for uh, for the British Open. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was great to see him at that level. I, I I figured he'd he'd make inroads, but not so quickly. So that bodes well. Sure. Yeah, for yeah. the tour especially. I mean, it's so packed up there at the in, in the men's game. You've got five, six, seven, eight guys who are legitimately uh, vying for that number one spot, don't you? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the men's and the women's. Um, you yeah. know, the 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 top few well, the top eight really and the women's they're all starting to push each other and they're all starting to starting to push, you know, Goha's been there obviously for <clears throat> for over a year now. Um, but they're 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 chomping at her heels as well. So no, it'd be good. It'd be, it'd be an exciting one. Yeah, it's deceiving, isn't it, Goha? I mean, she obviously she's the most consistent of them all, but uh, it's never ever ever a foregone conclusion that that she's even going to get to the final let alone let alone win it because the i mean nor yeah, and, sure. uh, and uh hanya and then you've got amanda and a few girls there they're all they're always um in contention absolutely absolutely yeah it's exciting times yeah definitely now i've got to pick and choose my spots here alex uh, there's so many areas where we could uh jump jump off from but uh, let, let's talk about officiating if you don't mind uh first of all strides have been made obviously with the officiating a lot of sort of really positive changes have come about thanks to to lee drew and his team i think ultimately uh the aim is to take a sort of this is in from my perspective anyways and i think a lot of people take officiating out of the equation as much as possible uh, by encouraging uh, players to play uh, what they call free-flowing squash these days. Uh, FFS, as one of my colleagues uh, likes, like, likes to refer to it as. But, uh, nice, anyways, uh, uh, nice acronym. Nice apt acronym. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, anyways, uh, just uh, in terms of the, the officiating side of things, uh, how do you see uh, uh, things the way they've played out uh, thus far? It's always it's always an interesting one. It's always one that's up for de- up for debate. Um, I think over the years, there's there's always been these kind of cycles in refereeing. You know, there's there's some periods of time where it seems to be going a bit better, and there's other periods of time where it seems to sort of go go backwards for a little while. Um, 
I think one of the I think one of the slight misconceptions over the last couple of years is that we've we've actively tried to change the rules or amend the rules or and I think it keeps coming back to that. Um, one thing that I think Lee Drew is really trying to impart on the referees and the players themselves is that nothing's really changed. It's more just looking at what the actual rules are and in, you know applying them in the correct manner. Um, so we we sort of seen periods of. I guess players getting a little bit frustrated where referees have seemed to have gone away from just the basic standard let. You know, that seems to be a bit of a perception from the player side of things. You know, it's either, you know, you're going into the front, it's either a no let or a stroke and 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 the and the the, the boring let has kind of disappeared. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that in that if we go back to the kind of back probably sort of 15, 20 years, it, there weren't any strokes. You know, you, you, you could stand on the ball, you could hear whatever shot you liked, you stood on the ball and, and it was always deemed a let. Since there was more of an introduction of that becoming a stroke, you get that, you get you get two things happening. You get one, players trying to get out of the way a little bit more, but then you also get players going for other players and you get these traffic jam kind of situations and it makes it very difficult. <clears throat> it makes the interpretation for the referees very difficult in terms of, you know, is it the player coming out that's fault or the player going in that's the fault? And then that's when it just becomes becomes tough. So I think the, that's the challenge for the referees these days. Um, I think the challenge back, I think the, the the thing that we need to get the players focused on again is that when we're bringing new people into the sport or the fans that are already within the sport, you don't want to see that all the time. You want to see the players just going for it, going for the ball, playing, having amazing rallies and just... You know, you know, looking to keep those lets to a minimum, which is where the where the free flowing squash kind of comes into it. Um, and one of the stats, <clears throat> one of the stats that Lee passed over the other day when we were looking at it was that um, Mohamed El Shabagi in black ball played four incredible rounds. He asked for twenty four decisions in the whole tournament, which is just a phenomenal, you know. And 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 I think back to the sort of you know the Diego match in the semi final, like. Just an incredible, and they were five setters, some of them as well. Mm-hmm. And he's averaging asking six lets a match. Well, that that's just incredible, you know. At the pace he's playing at, the people he's playing, you know, if if the rest of the squash world would just look at that alone and go, that's the way I want to play, then we wouldn't we wouldn't really need to talk about refereeing, you know. I think it I think it boils down to that in a nutshell for me. And I know that's kind of Lee's kind of aim, um, you know. Ultimately, um, you know. Then it'd be easy to referee, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the fewer the the calls, the the easier it is. But uh, I mean, I've noticed, yeah. uh, with the exception of a few matches uh, here and there, that seems to be uh, the case more so these days. It seems uh, there's a, a lot more free flowing squash. Guys are really seemingly uh, attempting to to play through a little bit of interference uh, these days. So uh, I think maybe there there's some progress there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope so. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, we've, we, I think we've got to keep. <clears throat> I think we've always got to keep working both sides of the equation. I think we, you know, the referees is obviously key, but I think the players is probably more key. You know, if you get two players out there that really decide on a day, you know, that they really just don't want to do that, then it just becomes a very, very difficult environment to uh, to navigate for the referees, and then they come they come under a lot of stick because you know the pressure builds and you know it gets messy and you know it, it's. Yeah, unfortunately, it probably is more with the players and the referees in 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 a lot of yeah. circumstances. 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, I mean, obviously you competed at the highest level and uh, I I competed at at that level, but uh, I mean, you know when you play someone, you know what the expectations are and in the back of your mind, you know basically you have a feeling of how it's going to play out. Some things you uh, sort of you can't control those things really. Unless players start to change the way they play, right? Uh, <clears throat> no, completely. Yeah, and 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 you know, whenever whenever I would go on court with somebody that I knew would be, you know, tricky in that regard, you'd have to, you know, you know, you'd have to try and you'd have to try and navigate it. And some days you could, and some days you couldn't. You know, you'd have to try and compromise yourself sometimes by hitting it into different spots, which would, you know, well, like I say, it would compromise the way you play the game, or you you try and figure out clever strategies. And sometimes, you know, sometimes it would work, and sometimes it wouldn't. Um, but ultimately, you, you kind of hope that you then get a bit of protection from the referee <clears throat> in those situations where you know where it's not going so well. Yeah, yeah. That one of the things that's come out of all of this, I think, uh, lately, and there have been rumors um, that uh, PSA might be employing officials or something in the pipeline. It's been discussed a few times. I think uh, uh, Peter Marshall brought it up in the in the panel that we had. Uh, and um, can you give an update yeah. on that in terms of, uh, you know, if, if there's any truth to that rumor and what you're No, thoughts? for sure. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's, it's always, you know, when you, when you look at other sports, you look at football, you look at tennis, you look, you know, they, they've, they've all, they've all professionalized themselves to the point where they do have, you know, professional officials that are, that, that are full time. Um, so it's always been an aim of ours to get to that point. <clears throat> um, you know, over the last couple of years, in terms of say daily rates to referees, that's definitely kind of moved up a little bit, but it's still not where it needs to be. Um, so we feel we are actually pretty close to employing one or two um, within. Yeah, I would not quite sure of the timescales yet because there's a couple of things still need agreeing. But but I would say it's 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 pretty close. Um, and I think the other the other thing to add to that in terms of then the overall plan is that. They wouldn't just. It's not just a case of bringing them in to be, you know, have them at every single event. They they would be, they would be a, a decent number of events, but it would be what they could do in terms of development for everyone else. Then you know we would have more people on the books then to, you know, work on more kind of development here. Be real kind of mentors for the for, for 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 some of the other referees. So I think it would it would over time then really try to bring the level up in terms of the consistency. Um, and then over time, hopefully, we would we would grow that team or have more people kind of, you know, <clears throat> contracted in to, uh, to 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 make that to make it better for the players and better for the tour. You know, certainly at the top level down, I and mean, obviously we'd start at the top level, but the, the further we could get down that that kind of pyramid, the better, really. So is it going to be based, or I guess the the employed uh, officials would that be just based on their their, their experience? Uh, in the big events or experience overall on, on the tour, uh, how, how what are the criteria maybe for for that? Well, uh, obviously the uh, obviously the first thing that's going to happen when you put anyone in that position is that the expectation is probably going to go up and probably be very 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 high. So they're obviously going to have to be good um, because you know that they will become. And this will be the slightly terrifying part of it. I think they will become very very targeted. Mm. Um, when they're suddenly right, these these are you know these are the you know the the, the men or women that are going to be in there, um, and so obviously the more that we can get in at that kind of level, that it will take a bit of pressure off. But yeah, it will come down to experience. It will come down to you know who 
who can do that role initially, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, and, and yeah, like I say, over time, it's not something that we would just stop, you know, stop at one or two, you know, we, over time, we want to really try and build that, build that pool out, um, you know, and, and, and bring everyone along and hopefully, <clears throat> hopefully improve the, improve the overall landscape. Yeah. Just in terms, like in terms of accountability, I mean, obviously being a paid <clears throat> official, that, that, that probably, you know, indirectly, or uh, it's going to have an impact on on officiating. I, I would imagine. I mean, when uh, at the end of the day, I mean, these guys, if they're being paid, if they're full time uh, employees of, of the company, they're they're going to they're going to take. You would think they're going. Obviously, they take it seriously now. But uh, being paid in full time and account accountable, I mean, that 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 might make a huge impact on decisions uh, in big matches. I mean, rather than making a quick like you've seen a, a couple not not a lot but a couple over the last couple of months where i would have thought you know go to the go to the to the review uh referee at the end of the match rather than making a knee-jerk uh, quick decision and uh maybe with that accountability they'll they'll bear in mind all the you know the importance of, of making that of those big decisions in big matches yeah no sure yeah 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 i mean i, I guess that you know Everyone that does it now does it on a <clears throat> a part time and a not quite a volunteer basis, but not far off. So, so the second that you make somebody that that full time role, and you know the they're able to focus on it, they're able to concentrate on it. You know, they don't have to get back to an back from an event and immediately go straight back into another job. You know, they can they can really invest their time in you know making themselves better and making everything else around them better. So, you know, you'd naturally, you know, the natural assumption is that that it will bring everything along. Um, and that's not saying it's going to be easy because squash will always be a, you know, a very subjective and a difficult, difficult game to referee. But you would certainly, certainly like to think that it would be a, you know, <clears throat> a big step, well, a big step for us and also a big step for the sport. You know, that kind of news out to, to the wider sporting world that that's a step that we take and I think would, would should hopefully be positively received as well. Yeah, that's a, that's a huge issue, isn't it, with squash officiating? I mean, I mean, you watch a, one of these, you know, you watch PSA squash TV, and uh, I mean, the, the guys the guys get it right sometimes, they get it wrong sometimes. They uh, it's just it's, it's highly uh, subjective, and I, I don't know if, if that's it's something that, the sport, yeah. if that's something that you know can be addressed in in the rules themselves at some point. May, maybe uh, making you know, I think that's what we're trying to do right now, making it more clear what a lead is what a stroke is what sort of interesting yeah no that that's a that's an interesting uh that's an interesting point actually jerry because when you look at if you look at say rugby when you look at rugby or cricket or will definitely foot will definitely football and the var out of it because that's a sport that should be doing a great job that probably probably isn't but if you look at rugby rugby in particular the communication between you know between the re- between the ref on the pitch and the TMO that's in the box, you know, it's super clear. They've got a very clear process. You know, there, there's an explanation coming out to the fans in the stadium and the fans on TV. Mm. And I think in time we've probably got to look at. Well, we should we, we will definitely test something like this, but going through that process, you know, do we do we, you know, and actually making it a little bit more formal? Because I guess the worry is, you know, the, those conversations are just happening and they're and they're you know behind closed doors and it's very quiet, and and no one really knows how they've got to the no let the the let or the stroke, mm-hmm. as opposed to you know this player's at fault, this didn't quite happen, that didn't quite happen, therefore it's a. 
so and so um and, and then you could kind of go oh right oh i get it you might not always agree with it but you can see what that process was to come to the output so there, there's tons of examples where you know and you'll, you'll see it at nearly every tournament everyone will have a view then they'll all be waiting to watch the watch the replays and then it comes to the end of it and you're like how on earth did they come to that but but yeah. and and sometimes you know some of these decisions could easily be any of the three you know depending on the tone of the match depending on what they're trying to do you know if they're trying to stop a player doing xyz they'll go off down this certain path but unless you're telling unless you're telling people that it's it becomes even more subjective so yeah i think i think processes need to be or are being looked at and then whether we kind of then you know they're a bit more i guess transparent is the word um but but then i guess yeah <laughs> the only caveat to that point is if you are really going to go to you know exposing everything warts and all you, you need a pretty you need that professional element to it and people being trained and doing that consistently across the tour it has has to be there because otherwise you're just going to get too many you'd still get too many variables on how people are dealing with stuff yeah so oh, for sure yeah, uh, a, lot, I mean, a lot to think about <laughs> yeah i mean what the way it is right now even you can see a noticeable improvement i mean as soon as they show it's not there's no discussion between the head official and the video official but they show the video and a lot of the times the player yeah. the player who's asked for a review as soon as he sees the video he kind of wa- he walks back to the service box and he realizes you know what that that happens i think that happens more often than not than than the other way sure uh, so yeah. that, in a way that that you know that's positive but i yeah i think it'd be it'd be great maybe if the the video official and and the the referee had some sort of communication revealed that to the to everybody and and hopefully going forward that that's the way to go i couldn't agree more uh now just uh let's move on from officiating alex uh let's talk about the i think it was in september uh might have been september 2022 uh the psa adopted a weekly update to the rankings um and uh it's it's bright it's it's brought a lot more excitement i think because everything's changing so quickly uh just in terms from your from your side of things what was the reasoning uh, behind the change and uh you must be happy uh, with the way it's played out thus far um it's been yeah it's definitely been very positive um this was one that this was one that was talked about quite a lot from from the players side of things so it was it was definitely a a push from the players um and and the reason being is that they they kind of wanted that more up to date ranking for when they entered the next lot of tournaments. So a player would player would do well in in you know one week and then potentially have to wait three three nearly four weeks sometimes until that hit the ranking and then and there would be entry lists in between. So the main the main reason really was was said that you know come the Sunday night when the tournament finishes by the Monday morning that hits the ranking they enter something on the Tuesday and then they're you know they're higher up. Um, and much more reflective of, of where they are or how well they've done. Um, equally, I guess that that works the other way. So what used to happen is, you know, you'd also, people would go above you. So that that can, you know, for the other players that haven't done quite so well, it, it, that will also hit a bit quicker. Yeah. Um, but overall, I think that's that's much more, it's much more preferable for the players to kind of see their success and be rewarded and then, and then the next one they're in. So that was massive. Um, and then just the storytelling side of it, really, just that weekly, mm. you know, especially especially with the you know the situation where 
where there's there's a lot of permutations at the top. Um, you know, great to see that you know every time you go into a tournament that it could change by the by the Monday. You know, if you finish in the Sunday and someone else does well, you know, the three in the world could nip up or the two or, or whatever that might be. You know, mm. there's an instant there's an instant story there, instant gratification of you know it's changed. So I yeah, the, the, both both of those combined is extremely uh, extremely intriguing. I mean, you had the uh, the opportunity of either Diego or Mohammed taking uh, number one, and then in, in the end, neither. Of them. Yeah. <laughs> indeed yeah 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 and uh you know i think that harks back to a little bit of of how busy a season it's been really and and i guess that is the slight concern as well at the minute that that you know sometimes i might be overplaying um i hope they're both yeah. okay for for the british open but there's there's certainly a case of people playing quite a few tournaments at the minute and not necessarily as focused yeah not 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 as focused it's just tempting i think to just keep playing when when it's in front of you um, you know, and the, and the the pace of the game. I mean, the pace of the game has always been high, but at the minute, it seems crazily high. So, you know, looking after themselves and looking after their bodies is is is, is pretty key, really. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, there seems to be a fair few injuries out there, but uh, I guess it's up to the player to de- to decide and look at the schedule and uh, you know manage. Sure, yeah. Maybe it's a maybe. Uh, it's great that the PSA has so many events on offer from the challenger series through the, you know, the, the, the bigger events. Uh, so maybe this is a, a learning experience for, for the player and their team, you know, just to be a bit more yeah. tactical uh, that way. Yeah, no, no, for sure. Yeah. Definitely need to be a little bit more kind of selective. I think sometimes. How was it back in your day? Uh... <laughs> That's an easy question to answer. Uh, straightforward. <laughs> there, straightforward. There wasn't enough events, so you just entered everything that was on the calendar. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they well, just we, we like really. How we, many events per month would you you know during the season? What would it be like two? Uh nearer what? I mean, so I remember being. I remember bit the, the I remember being 12, 12 in the world when we had sixteen draws, and not getting into. A 50k so i was first first qualifier you know you'd have 11 straight in you'd have a wild card and at 12 in the world you weren't getting into these tournaments because there just weren't enough of them so you just you were almost playing whatever whatever turned up on the calendar really um yeah and they were all super strong <laughs> so i guess so, you had you yeah. had to go out and play uh it, that, that's why there were all these league opportunities and, and uh exhibition. correct yeah. yeah 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 absolutely yeah we seem to be there seemed to be a lot more, or there was a lot more reliance on on, on that kind of structure back around the kind of two thousands, I guess, kind of twenty twenty odd years ago. Um, yeah, yeah. So we were all we were all here, there, and everywhere playing French league and German league, and 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 and, and obviously the stuff in the UK. So yeah. yeah, I would have loved to. I would have loved the calendar now. I would have. I would have. I think I'd have really enjoyed playing some of the, you know the amount of tournaments that they play. That would have been exciting though back then. You know, get to travel from from Holland to France to. Germany, then back to, but I, I guess it's a bit of a whirlwind, is it? Uh, even, even you know, in and of itself, there. Yeah, no, and I, and I think, like, I think that, I think they do. I think the players are still playing league. It's definitely not to the extent, but I know. Um, in fact, I don't know when, what day we take Thursday. Yeah, I, I know that Paul, I know that Paul Cole and Joel Makin were actually yeah. playing in in Dutch league last night, and I know I'm, I'm, you know, they've obviously committed to that. Ahead of a ahead of a busy season, but I'm sure, sure Joel for one is 
sitting there going, this is tough. This is tough now, you know, he's yeah, had back-to-back yeah. events. He'll just use his really well. <laughs> well, yeah, but there comes a point where you just have to, where he's probably, he's probably, we'd probably do with a couple of days off, you know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. Uh, well, uh, upcoming, we have uh, arguably the, the most prestigious event on the calendar, uh, the British Open. Um, it's And it's also being played alongside the World Open qualifying. I'm not sure if that's, happened like this before for the men and the women uh which i think you know, great idea to have them playing side by side so talk about that that decision uh, to have the world open qualifying uh, alongside the the british open um yeah it's an interesting one that um i mean just just firstly the just a couple of points about the british so we obviously we've had 10 years up in 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 hull um Sponsored by the uh, the late um, Dr. Alam, um, which was you know a fantastic legacy. But you know we were always we were always keen you know whenever that whenever that period of time was going to be sort of up was to get it back into you know back it into the sort of middle of the country and obviously off the back of the Commonwealth Games, um, the great you know fantastic Commonwealth Games in Birmingham, mm. you know we we wanted to try and see if it was going to be possible there. So I think the team's doing a doing a ton of work in the background making sure the tickets are sold and making sure everyone's going to be there so i think it's going to be a it should be a great event um we're in a new venue uh the rep theater so theaters are always you know renowned for being great for squash events you know put the put the court on the stage you know all the infrastructure's there the sound the you know everything's super super easy to 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 put it on so so that should be pretty exciting um and then we start off at we start off at Edgbaston Priory, and that then seemed quite a natural fit. You know, we will, the, the club will already be set up for, for welcoming lots of people. So to have then the world champs qualifiers kind of there following on seemed 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 like a natural kind of fit in terms of travel. And um, you can argue sometimes it's not having the world not having the qualifiers at the event that you're at can be a bit tricky for some players because you you potentially got to fly to the UK if you're not from here, if you don't live here. And then if you do qualify, then you've got a second flight out to Chicago, mm. but obviously then you're in and, you know, so, so we've, we've, we've countered that with putting some prize money into the qualifying. And that, that always used to be the issue with that always used to be the main, main issue with qualifying is that you'd spend all this money on getting somewhere and flights and hotels and, and, and whatnot. And then, Losing the qualifying and that was it. You know, it cost you cost you a fortune. So we've tried to counter that with my my brief pro experience. uh, I lost in uh, qualifying uh, just about every time. Right? Yeah. (laughs) It's not. uh, It's not, and it's not fun, and it can be quite expensive, as uh, (laughs) as you as as you'll agree. Um, It's kind of why it's kind of why we went away from. You know, we haven't done qualifying overall for 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 quite some time now. But there's there's also a bit of a push from the players, certainly for 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 the world champs and maybe a couple of other events to to have that opportunity to go a bit further down the rankings, you know, to to allow people a chance to to get into it. Um, it's always a bit, it's always a, quite a big internal debate about what's the best way to do that, um, and you can kind of argue both sides pretty well. You know, they're, they're not they're not fun experiences. They can be quite expensive. You know, it's, it's, you know, but also you are then given the opportunity further down. So, so yeah, again, it was one of the, it was one of the things that came out from, from the players really that they wanted us to kind of relook at that. Right. So uh, yeah, so we'll see, we'll see, we'll see how that goes. We'll see how that goes in a couple of weeks and uh, hopefully the players are all 
you know, on side that, <clears throat> that, that, that that's being done. Yeah, the British, and then obviously the British Open upcoming, uh, fantastic. I mean, arguably, as I mentioned, uh, the most prestigious event on the tour. Uh, so much history there, and uh, uh, we've got defending champion uh, Paul Cole. I think he made a tactical decision not to play in the more uh, the most recent events, anyways, to prep for that yeah. World championship. So, uh, how excited are are you and the PSA uh, for for this one? Yeah, very. Yeah, I think it's um, it's shaping up to be. You know, like I said, we, we're we're pretty we're very excited about the venue, um, and we're very you know obviously edge Baston Priory for the for the first couple of rounds, which will be busy. Um, and it's almost a shame. It's almost a shame. I, it's brilliant that it's at a club like that with such great support, but it's also we don't start the glass court till kind of you know the Tuesday, so there will be some. There will be some unbelievable matches um, at Edge Best and Priory and, and just on the kind of normal squash courts. Um, so I think the likes of, uh, I think Gawad, yeah. I think Gawad is playing Miguel and um, and Diego is playing Joel. So you've got two right there that, that could be, you know, there, yeah. they, they, they jumped out a bit. Um, and obviously Joel's from Birmingham, so he'll have a ton of support for that one. Um, but then when we get to the rep and the glass court matches, you know, the, Ticket sales are looking pretty good. Um, yeah, so sold, sold out completely sold on the, from the semis onwards. Uh, from... Yes, I think there still might be a couple free for the final, but the Saturday, the semifinals is definitely, it's been sold out for a little while. Um, and hopefully that will then mean people come along a little bit earlier in the week. So, yeah, it should be should be a cracker. Uh, yeah. How many uh, did you play in, Alex, uh, British Opens? Good question. Good question. I probably played my first one in around 94. Five would have been qualifying. Um, would have would have played qualifying. I think it did. I did pretty well in the one in '96. I remember taking out um, Mr. Dell Harris in the first okay. round of that, having having come through qualifying, um, which which was probably my best one. Um, and actually having having he just won the World Series Finals the week before as well. Right. Right. So I don't think he was overly enamoured with that. Um, yeah, <laughs> and then right through, we actually again when I sort of when I look back to. When I look back to some of the, you know, some of the things that weren't quite so great on the tour, you know, we had two years through my playing days where we just didn't have a British Open. Yeah, um, that, that, I remember so that, that was that was that was, was tough. Sad, wasn't it? That was uh, tough. Yeah. It's really tough, you know, and 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 like you say, to have the kind of the most, you know, arguably the most prestigious event, you know, just not on, um, was something that we've we fought pretty hard to just not have that happen again, really. Yeah, that's that's yeah. You you can notice that you notice that that it's back now and the prestige is back. People, all the players yeah. to to a to a man and woman, uh, they always rank this right up there. As uh, I think Paul Cole, obviously he was so uh, yeah, and and Hanya, I I, I failed to mention Hanya. Yeah, for also, sure. Uh, hasn't played yeah. in a couple of uh, events to to prep for uh, for defending her title too. So exciting oh, stuff for sure. Yeah, they'll they'll both view it very 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 highly. Yeah. Uh, now, just to move on, um, you, we talked a bit about qualifying, and one of the uh, uh, the big initiatives a, a couple of years back was the the induction of the uh, the Challenger Series events, and they seem to be thriving. And uh, a lot of uh, the young talent that we see coming up coming came through uh, a lot of success through the Challenger Series events. Gina Kennedy being one. Uh, a number that got Charlie Lee that actually just recently did, did well in, in a couple yeah. of events. He's won a few Challenger Series events. Um, 
So th- this week, I think there are like five events in five different countries as well. So that that's amazing. Uh, so talk about the importance of, of uh, introducing that Challenger Series a few years back uh, to the PSA uh, uh, from the perspective uh, of the players. If you can speak to that. Yeah, it's an, it's, it's, yeah, it's an interesting one in the it's yeah i would say it it has been successful but it's definitely not you know at, at the moment we've still got a bit of work to do um when we kind of came through or when we were trying to get through covid we introduced a, a, a scheme where um you know you didn't necessarily have to travel as far you know you could do country events you could do regional events um and there was a bit of a half you know we were trying to encourage everyone getting going so there was like a half price you know so a 10k you'd only need the money for say a five you know the five thousand kind of level um so at the moment and now we've gone back to kind of full prize monies and whatnot and that's almost kind of it's almost kind of hurt the challenger series a little bit at the moment in terms of we've probably well we have got more members than we've ever had um so it, we're almost lagging i'd say a little bit i think there's we've been having this discussion in the office quite a lot at the moment of you know what can we do to to really kind of drive it on again I think the, the world tour side of it is, is there's barely any weeks free now. It's almost at the point where, you know, the, the, the and the works will never be done on that. But it's 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 feeling pretty solid. You know, we'll one or two will go and one or two will cut. You know, and then they'll be replaced straight away with, with new ones coming in. Whereas on the Challenger tour, it feels like it just needs constant attention of you know trying to work a bit more with federations, with clubs, with promoters. You know. It, I, I think we're almost going to try and go to a having a few more regional tournaments or having a few more kind of domestic tournaments so that players don't, you know, kind of go back to the, if you're having to spend, you know, money on flights and costs and all of those sorts of things, if you can stay more local, um, you're kind of helping the players a bit more so that they're not constantly having to fly fly all around the world. Um, you is know, that so a reflection for the UK, of what's going on this week uh, with the five events in five different countries, or is that just yeah, exactly, yeah. And, yeah. and again, it's kind of it's it's great, but it, it, we almost need you know five in each country. Really, is is kind yeah. of where it you know, kind of needs to go, so that you're not having to you know, especially with the competition now. With you know, we're at about fourteen hundred. I think by the end of last year, we we reached nearly fifteen hundred player members. Um, you know, there's a load of juniors in there and, you know, the, the the split between men and women members is, you know, the women's is sort of slowly actually catching up with the men. Um, so there's just a lot of, you know, it, it is tough for the players lower down to get into stuff. So, you you know, we're really going to have to accelerate that kind of growth, certainly at the, you know, the satellite level and the three, you know, the three and the five. Um, you know, there are a lot, but I think we need, we really need to get, we really need to get it going even more, to be honest. So something along the lines of like a re- regional challenger series events. Uh, yeah. So. yeah, yeah, yeah. So you just stay in Europe or you just, you know, you, that, you know, those, those, however many events and we've, we've sort of looked at the numbers that, you know, only European players can play that and only Asian players can play that lot on, you know, um, only to a certain kind of level, but to really encourage that, you know, that kind of just to encourage more opportunity for sort of more local players. Because the, the danger is, you know, you'll you'll put something on in, I don't know, the UK, and then suddenly everyone else will come in as well, and you'll almost the UK players, of which there are obviously many, just won't the lower ones just can't get in it. You know, there's too many people coming in from other places, so that's something I think that we'll, we'll bring in relatively soon. 
that, that should hopefully really drive it on again. And the that's, regional uh, federations are, are, are have been positive in with regard to that. Yeah, well, we've certainly had we've certainly had that conversation a lot from an ESF from a European Squash Federation, um, and uh, we've got a board. The, the next board meeting is next week, and it's I think once they've signed off on that actually being the the route we want to go down, then it will we'll kind of go out to go out further afield then and try and get everyone else on board. Yeah, I think North North America too. I mean, it just seems like there, there's always a Challenger Series event somewhere in Canada or or the US. It, it seems to be fairly uh, active. It's, yeah, really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's probably other regions that are quieter. Um, you know, but certainly Canada and the US are, are, are going well at the minute. And then, and then, you know, great more opportunities for their players. Um, yeah, you think may, maybe some, you know, if you brought in uh, like Asia, North, like North Asia, Japan, Korea, uh, the, those countries. I mean, which are fairly, as, as you know, relatively quiet and with respect to the numbers of players that they have on tour. Uh, that might be something that could grow uh, grow the game as well if you were to. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like that there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. You know, so many good, uh, so, so many good young sort of Hong Kong players and Malaysian players at the minute specifically that, you know, they, they definitely, yeah. I would definitely help them. Yeah. Uh, now, uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Alex, I had uh, a squash panel and uh, growing the game panel and WSF president Zena Wildrich was on and uh one of the questions that was brought up was the the Olympic bid, and uh, you know uh, we talked briefly about that. And um, just wondering, you know, we're in the midst of of an Olympic bid now. So, um, what what are your your thoughts on on uh, how it's going? Um, yeah, so it's it's very much a, uh, a PSA office. We offer up a very much a supporting role. In that, so anything, obviously, WSF, World Squash Federation, and and Zena and William, you know, they're very much the the international federation that deals directly with the IOC. So we always very much see ourselves as look, we're here. Anything you need, we're there to kind of support. Um, and so the so the you know the LA twenty eight process is underway. You know, it's very much a it seems to be very much a process that's uh, the local organising committee are leading it in the first instance, rather than it being the IOC. They've, they've obviously changed the way they've done that over the years. Um, it just used to always be IOC deciding everything. But there's a, there's a very big part to play um, from LA28. Obviously, it's, it's, it's their games. It's their, it's their, it's their edition. Um, and, and as you'd expect from a sort of a, a US Olympic Games and one that's been so successful, the, the one back in sort of 84, you know, that it's very, very commercially led. You know, there's a very commercial focus um, on on what any sports that are vying for it need to do. Um, they they would still need sign off from from the IOC. So, but but it's it's very much them in the driving seat. So I know that you know that's kind of that's kind of happening a lot more in the background than than for any other bids. Um, it's it's, it's kind of where it's at really. Yeah. Well, uh, let's see how how it all plays out, and hopefully, uh, you know, we good things uh, might come. I mean, squash, it, it, the game speaks for itself, doesn't it? it it's uh, you watch these guys and it's the athleticism and the, the competitive uh, nature of the game. The professionalism for the most part is fantastic in, in our game. Yeah, no, for sure. You know, I mean, and we've been squash has obviously had its heart broken many, many times in, in, in these sorts of processes, but whenever we sort of look at, 
what we what sports what any sport needs to do to get in you know we do tick an awful lot of those boxes um you know so i'm sure the time the right time will come along um but again it's you know it's a very competitive environment and the ioc they're always looking at you know new things and how to attract how to attract the youth is obviously a very big part of uh of, of what they're trying to do you know you you can see that with the likes of you know skateboarding and surfing and and those sorts of things and then even looking at and break dancing yeah for sure um how's your break dancing these days alex are you <laughs> i was gonna say not as good as it used to be but it was, it was no, never, no. ever ever any good <laughs> my surfing and my skateboard is okay <laughs> yeah, all right, yeah. but uh yeah definitely i mean uh we're you know these days you, social media also dictates uh, a lot of things you know we don't realize it but it's it's such a huge especially for elder statesmen uh, like myself i won't speak for you but uh, sometimes things just go over my head and i i don't realize what means what anymore but the young the young my kids they know they know what's going on no absolutely yeah the gen the gen zeds and the you know the i was at a conference the other day they're they're now the they're now the largest generation that's ever been um over two 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 billion in that category uh in that in that kind of age range and you know they're the most connected they're the most you know there's there's all of these different things that you know they're just it's so different to the way i guess you and i would look at the world and even the generation sort of behind us so it's it's up to sports and that's more of a general point really it's up to sports to figure out how they're going to capture capture the attention of of that generation you know because they're on so many different platforms, you know, they've got so many different interests and it's all coming at them at pace and they seem to be able to, seem to be able to deal with it. Well, not even just deal with it. That's just kind of how they operate now, you know, it's, yeah, yeah. and it will change and it will change again, you know. It just came to, just thought just came to me. I think in golf, um, they have a, a prize at the end of the year for the pro with the, the, I'm not sure if this is correct or not. It's close though. The, the largest uh, social media presence. I mean, and you, oh, you, okay. you think about it, you think about it. I mean, I mean that that makes perfect sense, right? If you if you were to reward someone for having a social media presence, I mean, they're out there doing their best to spread the word, right? Yeah, I mean that that's what no, I'm, sure, yeah, yeah, that is an interesting one, yeah, definitely one for us to have a look at. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure. The couple guys, a guy like Paul Cole, he's got a pretty strong social media presence. Asal, I think he does through his um, Al Ali Club. Uh, several of the Egyptians. Uh, yeah, I mean, no, I think the 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 one that's probably leading the way is um, uh, Shabini. You know, her hers yeah. is hers is very good, um, and she does. You know, she's got a team behind her that's doing a great job. She she gets a really lot of traction, and I think we're all. I think we're all. Uh, we're all lagging behind um, the great Nicole David as well. Oh, she's <laughs> Who really, really, stuff. really, I mean, really did. Just, uh, uh, yeah. And I mean, the stuff she that she's doing, to... isn't it? Uh, it's some of it's not even related to squat. It's just related to humanity. I mean, it's, it's so impressive. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, no, she really is. And she's doing a great job with her, um, <clears throat> doing a great job with her foundation as well. Yeah. Over there in, uh, in KL. Well, speaking of uh, speaking of foundations, it came to uh, light in the panel discussion with Zena and uh, Peter Marshall uh, and the guys that I had on uh, the P. Uh, there's a PSA Foundation, 
uh, just wondering uh, if you could flesh that a, a little bit in terms of what the initiatives are uh, that are going on there. I, I visited there. There's a website for it, but uh, maybe a lot, of, yeah. uh, a lot of the squash uh, community <clears throat> might not be uh, aware of exactly what it is or what's going on. <clears throat> yeah, no, the fa- the foundation's doing, they're doing a great job. Um, they're, it's been going about five years now and it's headed up by, um, Adriano Alaya, um, who was very much a one-person band for, for, for quite some time. Um, there's now three, so so Jordan, she now has kind of Jordan on the team and, and Michael. Um, it's it's There's a few things. They've, they've recently kind of worked on the, the next kind of four or five years sort of strategy. Um, <clears throat> and there's kind of three three pillars. There's lots of things they want to do. There's three pillars that, 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 that they're really aiming at. One of them being to to kind of wherever the PSA tour kind of has an influence is trying to work on kind of legacy programs um, that you know so there's you know for instance when we're when we're up in Hull <clears throat> we've you know we've we're not there anymore but there's now a there's now a um, a rackets cubed program up there which is kind of going into sort of underserved areas you know kids are coming in playing squash getting getting an hour's education and getting an evening meal um and they do a fantastic job it's those sorts of programs that the foundation are keen to kind of support so that kind of going into all these areas where we are um and trying to partner up with either programs that are there or create new programs is is a big part of it um it, the foundation seems to be it's it's very good or it's the way it's operating and very good at kind of uniting all the different kind of stakeholders if you like in squash um so does a and again that's probably why Zena sort of mentioned it is that you know trying to we did a great um great kind of exhibition strokes sort or of publicity stunt in uh Birmingham New Street last year ahead of the ahead of the Commonwealth Games um and it was sticking a glass court as as we do as we do in Grand Central but putting a glass court in the middle of New Street station okay um for a week um which 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 was a a, a huge well it didn't into being a, just an enormous undertaking of you know of, of logistical challenges but it kind of brought together you know england squash it brought together local squash clubs local sponsors um people that were to do with the commonwealth games uh, and world squash all into one kind of group really um it was kind of under the banner squash united and and the programming that they did that week was just brilliant you know he was getting new people on court we had a couple of the sort of the portable courts on where people could just kind of hit um and it was a really kind of well well done event that just exposed squash to new people um but it was only you know it's not necessarily something that the tour would specifically do but from a foundation point of view of you know kind of helping everyone else kind of do their bit to go the game it's you know they're, they're very well placed in that regard um and then the third part really is kind of player welfare and and you know providing support for players you know the men- mental health side of things hardship side of things they they did a they did a phenomenal job through through covid um they, they sort of spun up a <clears throat> we are one hardship fund um mm. that we did a lot of fundraising for which was to support as best we could you know the players that literally just their income went to literally just went to zero because they just couldn't couldn't play tournaments, couldn't coach, couldn't, you know. Um, and that's a fund that I think, well, no, not I think, that's a fund that we are going to carry on um, going forward in terms of, you know, whether people get serious injuries or kind of a benevolent fund type scenario um, where we would try and fundraise and then 
players in in need would then kind of you know be be able to help those um and in the mental health side obviously again with a sort of a bit of a covid covid highlighted the need for how much support people really needed um and again they've 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 they partnered up with a company with a with a with a with a charity called Sporting Chance, which is actually run by which is actually set up by Tony Adams, who's a famous kind of Arsenal and England footballer. Um and and they do it they do a great job in terms of that support. So, you know, if players come to us and you know they're struggling for whatever reason, you know, a whole multitude of reasons, we will then the the foundation will cover the cost of that kind of treatment to you know someone to speak to and you know an expert to speak to to kind of hopefully hopefully kind of get them through you know whatever it is that they're trying to deal with um so yeah no and they they just yeah they're for 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 how big a how big they are just the three of them and some very helpful sort of trustees you know they they get through a lot you know it's uh it's yeah they 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 get through a lot and they'll they'll have a really big presence at things like the british open and world champs and you know they've been they were at canary wharf quite a bit you know, kind of spreading the word and and getting it out there, really. Yeah, oh, brilliant. Uh, I mean, that, that's so great to hear. And, and and you see other initiatives like like as you mentioned, uh, Nicole's got her stuff going on. We've got you've got the stuff in in the United States, especially yeah. in New York, Chicago, Philadelphia. The, the U.S. squash is doing a lot of work with respect to uh, that kind of thing. So it's great to see squash. Uh, yeah. Uh, the way it gives back now uh now alex i'd be remiss if i didn't uh ask you uh about mustafa Saul <laughs> uh situation obviously he was banned sure. uh just a few weeks uh, ago for six weeks um uh, and he's uh, uh obviously the most polarizing i uh, i think without question the most pol- polarizing uh figure <clears throat> the sport has ever seen uh without and it's probably due to the a lot to do with this crazy so world of social media that we live in uh, there are two camps, uh, obviously, but for many of Saul haters, uh, there for as many as there are out there, there are just as many who who love him. Uh, so the PSA you got, uh, banned him for six weeks. The ban was upheld by an independent uh, appeals panel. Uh, now that that it's out there, can you give us sort of a, from your from your side of it, sort of a thumbnail as to how all of that played out? I I, I did have Danny Lee on, and he. He was, uh, I guess, he described it as being at the eleventh hour when he, when he heard that. Although he probably realized it was going to come down, uh, that's when he heard and had to make decisions. Yeah, yeah actually, that, yeah, we'll come back to the Octavia and the Danny side of things because that that was just a timing, a timing issue that was just again completely out of our hands. But yeah, the yeah, I'm really not a big fan of the word hate. um but you are right it's yeah yeah, no it's and it's and it is definitely banded around a bit far too much really that you've got i guess if we go back to some of the facts we we what's the best way of putting this obviously things happen things happen on court and things happen on court with other players as well and there are processes in place you know on the code of conduct so going back to kind of i guess what's happened with mustafa in this particular instance is that um you know we went through a psa Went through a PSA disciplinary code of conduct procedure um, for a couple of couple of a few instances that happened uh, at the Egyptian Open last year. Um, he was handed a penalty from that code of conduct um, that he didn't agree with or he didn't think was was just. So he's he's perfectly well within his rights to appeal that, which he then did. Um, we then we then put together a, an independent tribunal, which again this this took us 
quite a bit longer. And again, that is one of the things that I guess people think that they wonder what we're up to, but putting together an independent tribunal, one we, that we thought was worthy of this, you know, did actually take longer than we thought it would do. And then once that tribunal was together, they had you know a ton of work to do and a ton of things to look through. And, and the whole process took took a while you know took a lot longer than we would have we would initially liked uh, or hoped for um but the biggie really is that you know once that once that tribunal's in place psa is just you know out of it you know we'll we'll put our case forward to the tribunal but you know that's there's no other influence that we can have over it and that's the whole point of the the independent nature of it um the panel then heard both sides well sorry no go back a step so then the timing of it was agreed by all three, you know, obviously by the panel, us and and the people representing Mustafa. Um, so I, 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 people have said there's been quite a bit of comment on why was it on the semi-finals of Canary Wharf. Um, I think it had just been pushed back and pushed back and pushed back so long that it was like, it just needs to get done. So that was why it ended up there. Um, and obviously Mustafa's people agreed to that date. So that that's fine. Um, once you have a hearing like that, then obviously then that all needs to be written up and agreed by the panel. And and we were we were very conscious of the fact that that was getting close to Optasia. We didn't know what the outcome was going to be, whether it was just going to be completely kicked out or whether it would be upheld or whether it would be slightly changed. Um, so, you know, and uh, Danny was made aware that it, it could come down to the 11th hour, which it did. Not great, but again without us being able to sort of influence, you know, an independent tribunal and say, guys, this, you know, it's, yeah. it's down to those guys. So hence that timing, not being, not being fantastic. Um, so the, the six weeks enables him now to play the world champs. So, you know, he, he missed Optasia and he missed the British open and, and let's see, you know, let's, let, let's see what happens when he sort of comes back out, you know, for the world champs, um, the, a lot of things keep a lot of things keep coming across my desk around things like you know conspiracy theories and this that and the other. I mean, well, that, that, that's the social media. Look, I mean, you see, you see yeah. a lot of that on there as well. What 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 are your what are your thoughts on that? I mean, well, I mean, you just need to go back to the facts. Something happened on court. We went through a disciplinary procedure. It was it was subsequently upheld by a tribunal. Well, actually, slightly changed, but upheld by a tribunal. I I don't see. People can, people can. I guess people can draw assumptions, or they can think we're doing this. Look, Mustafa Assal is a fantastic squash fairy, world number one. Why, in any sport, would 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 a governing body want that player not there? Like, it, it, it's it's nonsensical. It doesn't make any sense. Um, you know, we've obviously got a, we've got a rule book, we've got a code of conduct, we've got fourteen hundred other players. We've got a duty of care to those other players. We need to uphold standards it's as simple as that you know it's not it's it's not any more complicated than that i guess uh you know some of the people who i mean i I follow a little bit what's going on there on the social media and some people might say you know mustafa's yeah definitely uh his movement there's issues there but there are others who uh also have moved into issues and, and are doing the same things that he's doing uh that's what they they would argue what what do you have to say about that bad argument um <clears throat> it's i mean having played lots of players over the years you know some move great some don't you know some there's some you, you get some players that are serial offenders you get some players that do it sometimes don't do it other times 
it, nobody, I don't think anyone can argue that there are a lot of issues when Mustafa is playing mm-hmm. against a lot of different players. So then when you look at that and you go, right, well, it does seem to happen a lot, right? There'll be other players that do it occasionally. There'll be other players that do it probably too much as well. Uh, but are they doing it against every single, you know, every single time they go on court? So, yeah, it's it's difficult. When you get a player that's, I guess, he's that explosive, he's that powerful, he's he's potentially doing things on court that that you know that are, that are causing disruption. Yeah, it's not easy for the referees, and 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 I think one of the things that ends up happening is that they feel the pressure. They then off they then often you know. They'll they'll be pinging him for this that and the other. They'll stop looking at the other player, and th- and this happens with everyone, right? This happens when uh, I, I don't I don't even want to name a Safa's name, but when you go back to other players back in the day, you know, um, referees would suddenly go after them for a period of time because they were always causing issues. That that happens in rugby. That happens in football. That happens in you know any of those sports where there's a where there's a judgment. I was going to say, Alex, just to defend what what you're saying. I mean, I'm I'm a I'm a fan of Mustafa's. I I think he's great for the game, but I also see he has movement issues and he has to clean those up. But I think part of it, obviously, his reputation, right? The the official, he there's a preconceived notion that he's going to bring these issues to the court with him when he plays, and officials are they know that it's uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, and that and that's happened, and that's happened to other players over the years, mm. and they either then, they either then sort it out or it keeps happening. You know, that the, there'll there'll be other players where you know they keep doing this, they keep doing it, whatever those things might be, and then referees will go after them. And what sometimes happens is, and actually this happened with this happened with Gawad back in the day before he won the world champs in 2016, because Lee was working with him then, is that he was getting pinged constantly for he had a certain movement back out the back front back end kept doing it he kept doing it and it was stroke 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 every time he, every time he ever went on court Lee was working with him really closely he changed it and he had about two or three events where he kept getting pinged and he, I remember seeing him he would run off court find Lee and he'd be like I'm not doing it anymore but he was still getting pinged because yeah, yeah. he still had that he still yeah. had that reputation it took a while until the referee's kind of like, oh no, actually he doesn't do it anymore, and then and then it and then it changed. Six months later, he won the world championships, you know, and and he was having all sorts of problems before then. So it's not it's not an overnight it's not an overnight thing, but it has to come from sort of both sides. There has to there has to come, and again, this is for any player. This is not specifically Mustafa. It, it has to come from you know willingness to well either accept that there might be an issue that that probably needs to happen. Then sorting the issue out, and then and then the realization of everyone else actually that that's then happened, and those things kind of need to they all need to happen for it to then be you know for it to be resolved really, and and we're desperate for it to be resolved. Like we want you know the, the you know he's he's phenomenally phenomenal player you know, and a couple of the performances recently um, you know just just blowing people away. Yeah. Um, so it's it's you know it's a real shame that it's come to this sort of online. You know, whatever stuff's being said online, and and again, I, I, I yeah, I, I must admit, I don't tend to go anywhere near those platforms where it's being, where it's being banded around. I find it pretty sort of yeah, 
I've well, dipped in and out of it occasionally. Well, I was going to ask uh, you, Alex. I mean, uh, you're the CEO of uh, PSA, and and you look in any, especially the high profile sports. Uh, I'm Canadian, uh, so I follow American football. And Roger Goodell, I mean, every day you see people just crapping on him for you know things that are going on in the sport and you know stuff that's basically sure. maybe maybe out of his control. And you must be privy to some you know, what people say every now and then just wondering uh, how, how you sort of uh, handle that, that type of uh, criticism. Cause it comes with the job, obviously. Uh, I mean, it certainly does. Yeah. It comes with any, any sort of job like that, where people, people will have a view, whether you're doing a good job, an average job or a terrible job, you know, and then sometimes that will get, sometimes that will get personal sometimes, you know, some, sometimes they might have a point, right? Sometimes you might not be doing a great job. <laughs> so you just, you kind of have to, you kind of have to have pretty, I, I, I guess that's the, that's the thing that you develop when you, when you play sport at a professional level, you know, you do develop pretty thick skin or you do, you know, but the, 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 the one thing I kind of keep thinking about or coming back to is that, you know, all the people within PSA, we've all got a huge love of the sport and a huge love to make this sport work. Um, so it's it's not always going to be easy, and you are going to get some people that really don't like the way you do stuff or or whatnot. But as long as you keep you know putting in the hard yards and putting in the hours and 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 trying to do the right thing, then you know that's all that's all you can do really. Um, you know, there's a few things hopefully in the pipeline that that we're trying to get through and 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 get to the bottom of that that will really make a big difference to the whole whole sport. You know, um, so hopefully if we can if we can keep driving things like that, then. You know, there'll always be people that don't necessarily agree, but you know, you just uh, just have to get on with it, really. Well, squash is uh, we've had such a great season till now, and uh, we've got the British Open coming up. We've got the World Champions com- Championships uh, coming up. Some really uh, exciting times for the game. Now, uh, I know uh, you know Jethro Binge from Squash Skills. I just had him on uh, talking about uh, the squash, uh, the Jonathan Power documentary, uh, part one, which is out now. Uh, it was fantastic. I'm a huge uh, Huge JP fan, played him as a junior, knew him a little bit. And, uh, you know, obviously you played against him. So uh, can you uh, just look, look that that part one of the, the documentary was amazing. It, it captured uh, him as a junior, but also, you know, he hasn't changed at all. Right? <laughs> the, the, him sitting <laughs> in that chair was, was amazing. Um, but uh, can you recall the, the first time uh, you played him and uh, what – uh, I, I guess back in the day, like you guys really hadn't seen anything uh, maybe quite like it. So what what were your thoughts? Uh, uh, I guess maybe the first time you played and before and, and after uh, that match, if you can remember. Yeah, I can actually. Yeah, the main reason I can is because I beat him, <laughs> which was few and far between. <laughs> but he, he, um, and you're right. You're absolutely hundred percent right. He, he he hasn't changed a bit, and it was great, it was great to see him in the last couple of events in TOC, and he was down in Philly for the for the US Open. Um, and he yeah, uh, he always likens me. I always whenever I see him, I always think he he's always wandering around round like he thinks he's in a movie, and I think he does think he's in a movie most of the time because it's just just that his persona and his thing. But he's 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 a fantastic fantastic individual. Um, first time I played him actually was where did I play him it was I'd only just joined the tour in September 93 so I remember all of those tournaments pretty soon after that so I played him in April 1994 in the Richmond Club in Vancouver 
Oh, great. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I managed to, and I, so I think he would have been, he's, I'm not quite sure how much younger than me he is, but he, I think he was about 17 and I was yeah, probably yeah. about. That makes sense. 22, 22, 23. Yeah. Um, 23, actually. Yeah. Sorry, um, how old are you? If so you don't mind asking how old are you, Alex, you're 50. 50, 52. So I was 52, born in 90, at the end of 1970. Yeah. So I, I just turned 23. So I managed to sneak a three love win then. And I'm not sure whether I beat him at all after that. I might well have done another time, but I certainly, I was certainly dished out a few hammerings after that. Um, I remember playing him once in Hagada and just, oh, it was, I think it was in a, a real sweet spot of a patch where he was just thumping everybody. Yeah, yeah. Um, not least, not yeah. least, yeah, not least Peter Nickel actually as well around then. He was just, he was just un, unplayable at times, you know. So just, it was brilliant to have, brilliant to have played him, um, you know, actually quite a few times. But yeah, uh, I, I'm, I'm yet to see the first part. In fact, oh, really? Jethro mentioned it to me. Yeah, I'm, it's on my, I start, I, I'm, I'm definitely got that in for watching it this weekend because I've, I've seen the first two minutes of it and I'm quite excited about seeing it. No, it's really good. Uh, I mean, the, the footage of him when he was young, and and uh, just the 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 discussion with Jethro, and he's just sitting in the chair. Right. There. <laughs> it's, it's classic. No, I look forward to it. But uh, but Alex, uh, I really appreciate your time today. Well over an hour uh, of talking PSA squash. Uh, the season's uh, been fantastic. The initiatives you guys have in place are promising and uh you know you've had a few tough decisions to make uh this season with regard to you know the bands and uh other things going on but uh keep up the great work and uh let's do this again at some point no, i really enjoyed it jerry thanks very much and uh yeah uh, i hope that i hope you enjoy the rest of the season and yeah let's uh let's chat again soon well, many, many thanks to Alex for taking the time out for the pod today. Really appreciate it. And uh, also for taking on uh, those hot button issues, uh, particularly uh, the elephant in the room, as I mentioned, the Assal uh, issue, um, the ban, the six week ban, which has Mustafa Assal out of the game uh, for the, uh, the British Open. Uh, Optasia, the, the last event, and uh, he'll be back though for the World Championships. So that should make that event extremely, extremely intriguing. Um, you know, as as I mentioned uh, in the intro, the conspiracy stuff that is out there about the PSA looking to make uh, life difficult uh, for Mustafa. I personally don't buy it. Uh, I do think though that he's the victim of some unfair treatment at times from officials uh you know that was pretty that's been evident in several events but uh i think unfortunately uh which we talked about today that that comes with the territory of having of having a reputation like the the one that mustafa has uh as alex said you see it in all sports where certain athletes who play a certain way might receive bad calls against them uh, uh based on their reputation uh even more, though, what's a shame for to me, anyways, to see is to see a lot of the hatred that seems to be out there. Um, you know, hopefully soon uh, this passes, though, and uh, you know we're going to soon find out at the the World Championships, which are just around the corner. Hopefully, Mustafa will have uh, made more inroads in terms of his movement. Uh, I don't see you know his on court mannerisms, maybe the post match uh, stuff. Some people don't like that. I don't mind it. I think it's good for the game. The young people. I think for the most part, when we had uh, 
Jackson Bragman on from the Bragman Report, uh, the Bragman Breakdown, I should say. I mean, he's an 18-year-old podcaster who spoke about how much I think he and how uh, his peers really enjoy that type of thing. So uh, to me, I don't mind it. That's the movement stuff that uh, hopefully get hopefully improves, and uh, we'll soon see uh, when the World Championships uh, come around. Uh, I can't wait for that as well. So I know you guys, but uh, the British Open uh, is upcoming, and that's going to be very exciting. So we'll be uh, we'll be speaking about the British Open um, uh, in the one of the upcoming podcasts. Actually, I'll be speaking with Kareem Abdul Gawad. Uh, he's coming back on the on uh, the pod to talk about his huge win at Aptasia. Uh, he played extremely. well well at canary as well so really looking forward to that he's one of the guys like i said uh um before i play i i usually typically like to watch uh, diego uh like to watch old shabana matches and uh, kareem uh, is one of the guys i like to go to as well just so silky smooth uh obviously the way he moves around the court i'm not able to do that but if i can sort of have that visual in the back of my mind of uh, of the way Kareem plays, or you know the way Diego and and Ammer play. That that really helps me uh, in my matches uh, when I play league, or you know if I just want to sort of watch the, the the way squash should be played. He's a guy that I typically go to, and really looking forward to having him back on. You all know the story. He was out for quite some time with a what many thought might have been a career-threatening uh, foot injury. Well, he came back, uh, played extremely well at Canary, and then went on to win uh, Optasia. And he's uh, obviously busily uh, pre- prepping for the British Open and the World Championships coming up. So looking forward to having him on. Also, uh, just finished this episode actually earlier today, uh, women's world number 26 Tomato Ho came on the podcast, and uh, she's having a real, a tremendous season, ba- basically a breakout season for her. She's 27-year-old Hong Kong uh, female uh, national uh, national champion, and uh, she comes on. We talk quite a bit. It was a really fun chat. We talk about uh, the decision to change her name to Tomato, which is a absolutely uh, awesome story. You're going to love to hear this, and also her season to date, which includes uh, really good results in in Cleveland, in Calgary, and having played uh, at the Tournament of Champions, she had a first-round encounter with Hanya El-Hamami, and she talks about what that was like. And also just a squash life in Hong Kong, and a really fun chat with her, uh, with Tomato uh, Ho. You're going to hear that. That's the next episode coming up. We'll be dropping that in a few days time so everybody uh all the best with your squash i hope you're all doing well injury free take good care uh it's the weekend coming up so enjoy your weekend and we'll be talking to you very very soon kareem abdul kawad and tomato ho coming up next on the pod goodbye now